One of my favorite things is creating great content for you, my listeners. But everyone's got a butt, right? It costs money to keep the process flowing. There's sound, recording, and editing gear. There's the cost of platforms that syndicate the program. And, well, a whole lot of time goes into seeking out good stories and topics. So here's my ask. If you like what you're hearing on You Don't Say, help me keep things going by showing your support with a donation. Any amount is appreciated. You can donate to me by visiting youdontsay.net and clicking the Venmo or PayPal button on the homepage. Or go directly to Venmo or PayPal where my handle is at Drew Zag. That's at D-R-E-W-Z-A-G. Thanks for your consideration and hope you enjoy the episode. Direct Mail. To a business owner, that only brings to mind big dollar signs and little return. Well, there's a better way to reach, stay in front of, and engage your customers, prospects, and cohorts. Constant contact, folks. Yep, I've used them for years for my businesses and it works. And for pennies per contact as compared to direct mail. Subscriptions start at around 20 bucks a month. Constant Contact provides powerful email tools that include a library of awesome design templates, list management and reporting, event management, polls, and more. So, if you want to stay in front of your audience, Constant Contact has everything you need, and I'll make it easy for you. Simply go to constantcontact.com forward slash you don't say to start your free trial account today. This is Drew Zagorski. You're listening to You Don't Say. Thanks for that. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to podcasts or at youdontsay.net and share with your family, friends, and everyone else you know. Okay, so I'll start right away by saying this episode is going to piss off a lot of good friends of mine and some family members as well. But you know what? I'm way past caring, at least on this topic. And here's another thing. Brace yourself because I'm going to share facts. You remember those things, right? Anyway, I'll provide facts that break down arguments people make on this issue in the hope that it'll shake some people out of their belief that we're still living in the 18th century. So here goes. During the past couple months, we've seen a madman roll his armies and bombers on an innocent nation of civilians. It's genocide, plain and simple. When you're targeting maternity hospitals, schools, and apartment buildings in an unprovoked war of aggression, you're not even pretending to cover it up. All those bombs and bullets, it's flat-out gut-wrenching. And then the past few weeks here in the States, while not on the scale of what's happening overseas, the bodies of needlessly killed people are continuing to pile up due to mass shooting after mass shooting. A couple in Iowa, the subway in Brooklyn, a party in Pittsburgh, red state, blue state, it doesn't matter. It's an epidemic, a cancer. And the 24-7 unedited coverage of these things is enough to push the healthiest person into a dark hole of depression. So yeah, I want to talk about guns. You know, for a long time, I believe the Second Amendment didn't necessarily need to be abolished, but updated to conform to the 21st century. I mean, I know outdoors people who hunt and then will eat what they shoot dead. Okay, not my cup of tea, but okay. And yeah, I think with invasive species, an argument could be made for the conservation and managing of those populations. That's pretty rational and reasonable thinking. So, okay, have that sport if you can call it that. Seems to me like a one-sided affair, but whatever. So guns, the Second Amendment. With every new live shooter event, my perspective on it was, well, slowly shot to death. I'm over it. Now my take is the Second Amendment needs to be shot dead, put under, and its time has passed. I can just see all the heads exploding out there. But you know what? I don't care about the feelings of gun worshippers and people waving Gadsden flags in basements full of more guns than anyone should ever have a right to own in a single lifetime. Get over it. If you've got an arsenal in your home, you're part of the problem. 
So hang with me, those of you who are members of the religion of the gun barrel. After I share some realities about some of your most common arguments, I'll offer what I believe is a pretty good set of solutions so you can keep your sacred six-shooters, consecrated carbines, and exalted automatic weapons. Now, a lot of gun owners would have us believe that guns don't kill people. What would the friends, partners, spouses, sons, daughters, nieces and nephews, and parents and grandparents have to say about how the bullet got into their loved one's brain, heart, or whatever body part they bled out from have to say about that? If the shooter was only able to get their hands on a knife or bat or some other blunt object, most all of those people who are stacked up like cordwood might still be with us. Sure, some might not, but the odds of mass fatalities is almost eliminated without that gun. And the odds of a group of people dogpiling on a jag with the blade or the bat is way more probable, so that maybe nobody lands in a hospital except the idiot who had the plan. No gun? A whole lot of people will be going home to their families instead of to the morgue. And if guns don't kill people, why are law enforcement and the military armed with them and taught to shoot to kill instead of just being cut loose to have a slap fight with the bad guys or enemies or whoever? They're armed with guns so they can kill people with ease. That's a gun's only purpose, to kill. And here's another thing. I'm putting all arms in the same boat. Revolvers, pistols, rifles, shotgun, automatic, semi-automatic weapons, tanks, fighter jets, rocket launchers, warships, all of them. They're just variations on a theme. They all have the same DNA. So you can take that guns don't kill people argument and shove it. It's a lie. Another ridiculous argument is, well, more people die in car accidents than do from shootings. I'm calling bullshit. If you look at the raw numbers, it's true if you factor out needless, greed-driven wars. But at the clip we're going, pun intended, that's going to change sooner rather than later. And here's the thing gun owners don't want to admit about this half-witted argument. Sure, on some rare occasions, nitwits do use their cars with intent to kill. Like the redneck bigot in Charlottesville in 2017 dead. But the fact is, it's pretty rare for someone to choose their minivan as an assault weapon. In terms of murder weapons, the use of a vehicle is so rare, in fact, it doesn't even show up in the statistics of the type of weapons people use to commit murders. Half of the top 10 weapons are guns of some sort, accounting for an overwhelming majority. Yeah, people died because of vehicles, but like I said, virtually nobody gets into their car with malice aforethought to go out and kill a bunch of people with it. Fatalities happen because of accidents. Someone looks at their phone, falls asleep, has too much to drink, has mechanical problems, or maybe bad weather are the causes of these fatalities, not intent to kill. So no, more people do not die because some malignant boil got into his or her car and decided to mow down peaceful protesters or worse, preschoolers. That's a fact. So gun owners, too bad if that hits you like a full metal jacket. Did you know that there were almost 700 mass shootings in 2021? As of mid-April of this year, 2022, we're on pace to meet or exceed that number. The fact is, gun ownership just keeps going up. And that's no coincidence, especially since guns don't kill people, right? And that brings me to another brilliant idea gun owners have. Just let everyone strap on their six-shooter wherever and whenever because more guns means less killing, right? That's like putting the lunatics in charge of the goddamn asylum. Sure, once in a while, the bad guy might get taken out, but when Billy Bob, Sheila, Mike, and Cindy pull out their shooting irons and start pulling their triggers, how many people are going to be caught in that crossfire? And how certain can we be that one or more of them won't panic, and because of that, their shots become shaky and willy-nilly instead of aimed correctly at the shooter? Shh, don't tell anyone, but we can't. 
That's right, we can't. And then when they all holster up after the gunplay, they see their grandma and niece bleeding out from a hole in their forehead on the pew or maybe where they fell in the communion line. And it was they who put the bullets in their loved ones. Then what? Well, at least we got the shooter, maybe. Grandma and Janie, they're just an acceptable bit of collateral damage in the equation. You can live with that, right? More is not less. No way, no how, because here's the reality of it. When a person decides to load up and walk into the go-to-meeting or the school or the office or the grocery store or wherever, they ain't right in the head. Mental health issues are at play, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Anyway, no amount of holstered-up, rifle-toting people are going to stop them from acting out their plan. In fact, it might make it more tempting and spur them on to go even bigger with it. A live first-person shooter game. More on that later, too. So on to militias. I bet anything that most folks who throw that one down don't even belong to their state's militia if their state even has one. Only 22 states do, but today, they're more an auxiliary to the National Guard, and almost all of them aren't even called militias anymore. They're called State Defense Forces, or SDFs for short, and they're under the command of the National Guard and the governor of the state. The intent of these forces today is to step in as emergency response and natural disaster support, or to stand in for the National Guard when a state's guardsmen are deployed outside the state or overseas. So no, the militia isn't some independent group. SDFs, as they're called now, are well-regulated, that pesky little phrase in the Second Amendment. Of course, there's rogue groups like the Oath Keepers or the Not-Fucking-Around Coalition, just to name a couple. These groups are not well-regulated at all, except maybe for their equal opportunity enrollment practices for lunatics who want to play at the OK Corral. And part of that well-regulated thing, it's the equipping and training of the members of the SDF by the states that have them. So there's that. Now, the vast majority of gun owners don't even belong to SDFs. Like I said, they only exist in 22 states with a total number of volunteers of 14,000 for all of them. And that's less than 650 per state. Okay, now let's talk about the mental health thing. Look, there's no argument that we got a massive mental health problem in this country and in this world. One of the things I lay at the doorstep of the issue is digital media and more specifically social media. In the latter, there's nothing social about it. Social media is a place for cyber bullies and most people, especially younger folks, post images of lives they aren't even really living. And that leads to huge problems for younger people especially. Well, everyone really, but especially people under a certain age whose brains aren't fully baked yet. So digital media is a constant fire hose of horror for people of any age. If you're older, how many times have you just had to turn it off because the images were too horrible? It's unfiltered, unedited violence porn. And all types of porn for that matter. So thanks to 24-hour news cycles that only push news that gets high ratings, clicks, and downloads, I'm working on a separate episode on that issue, so that's going to be coming soon, people are more and more desensitized to things like live shots of bombs exploding, shootings, and wonderful shit like beheadings and objectification of women. And if that's not enough... The entertainment industry pours fuel on the fire with heads being vaporized on screen, serial killers disemboweling their victims, scenes of rape and sodomy, and a whole lot more. Then they take the films and series that were successful at the box office and on streaming services and turn them into first-person shooter games. Oh, okay. Well, they do put ratings on those games as if that's going to stop an 11- or 12-year-old from playing them. And beyond films and social media... The Internet's just an uncensored, Wild West environment. 
Anyone with a minimum effort can learn how to carry out mass shootings, build their own guns and bombs, and other wonderful projects they can do in their craft rooms. So all that isolation and depression over Hallie's smiling, giggling pictures and videos of her vacation to Paris, when she's just as depressed and fucked up as everyone else in real life, followed by nonstop coverage of an asshole who went Rambo on the subway or at a party, spur on all those feelings of disconnectedness, rage, depression, and hopelessness that lead someone who's on the edge to, well, go ramble on a subway train or break out the bullet-filled party favors at a party. And another thing that digital isolation causes is sexual repression and a lack of self-esteem and ambition in a lot of cases, which means that the person is probably either un- or underemployed. And I'm pretty certain that leads to a repressed, desperate guy or gal who's probably the most dangerous type of person out there. And let's be honest, and this is for my friends who, like me, have had it with guns. People who are rational, well-adjusted, and have the ability to feel compassion and empathy don't put together plans to go out and shoot other people, whether it's one person who worked them, a drive-by, or a group of folks they don't even know. They just don't. But all of those guns being bought by what we call responsible gun owners puts too much money in the hands of the manufacturers, lobbyists, and politicians. So every time someone buys that new Glock, the cash register rings for all those politicians and corporations upstream. So there's absolutely no political will to do anything about the mental health or the gun crisis except to offer an empty and shallow our thoughts and prayers statement while your son is shot dead in history class. Someone took their gun and chose to abort his life. That's right, I said abort, because that's what happened. The termination of his life. Inconvenient word, I know, especially if you're a gun owner who's all about being pro-life. But it is what it is. Anyway, that kid will never play with his dog again. He'll never see his senior prom. He'll never go into a trade or off to college. And he'll never get to volunteer at the senior center. He'll never see his favorite baseball team win the World Series. He'll never meet his partner and build a loving relationship in life with that person, which might include a family of his own, and he'll never have grandkids. And that's just him. Now, consider how the lives of his family and friends were destroyed. No, murdered, along with him. They're no less murder victims than the son, brother, uncle, or friend, but their fate is even worse. They've got to live with the fact that this person was violently ripped from their lives forever. They'll never be the same. There won't even be closure, even if the shooter's put down or sent away for life. They'll always have a life that has a huge void in it. A life that's now, suddenly broken, forever. So think about this. If the cost of weapons and ongoing ownership of these things that don't kill people was increased to fund mental health programs in schools, churches, and workplaces, as well as deliver required workshops for gun owners and their families and friends to identify situations, and additional resources for law enforcement to have mental health pros ride along and be part of their team to help defuse situations that cops just aren't qualified to deal with, what kind of difference could that make? The mental health thing is real. We all know it. It's a big part of the gun problem here and all over the world. Now, the Second Amendment, it reads as follows. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That thing was written and ratified in the Constitution, wait for it, 233 years ago. It was in the days of single-shot muskets and pistols. Revolvers didn't even come along until the mid-1800s. It was a time when there was a ton of people living on the frontier when a musket, at least, was required to help provide for a family and, sure, even defend them, maybe against those original Americans, right? 
It was a time when there may have been a constable, but no real organized local, state, or federal law enforcement agencies, and certainly no standing military or national guard. But a whole lot of gun owners, and certainly the manufacturers in the NRA and other gun lobby groups, certainly don't want us to believe we live in the 21st century. And to be even more clear, the Second Amendment doesn't guarantee the right to own a firearm to anyone. At the time the Second Amendment was written, the condition for owning the weapon was based on the need for a state militia to protect the state. As I mentioned earlier, the purpose and even the name of that militia have evolved. Another inconvenient word for gun owners and organizations like the NRA. Evolution. Bad. Very bad. Can't have that, can we? Now militias have a different purpose. As I mentioned earlier, they're not even called militias anymore, but state defense forces, and their purpose is not to shoot the place up. Anyway, this isn't just me blowing smoke. This is the take of a somewhat recent former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, one who was appointed by, you got it, a law and order conservative Republican president, Chief Justice Warren Burger. And okay, the court under his tenure gets the rap of delivering some of the most liberal decisions of the time, but he himself, a conservative Republican who had the ability to think critically. Now, I know that's out of style these days, but there it is. I'll put a link to that opinion in the episode notes. So, okay, this is where I come from on my own take on it. The Second Amendment needs to be taken out and shot like the old horse it is or amended to come into alignment with the 21st century. And hey, gun owner, before you piss yourself, hollering about it should never be modified, you need to check yourself. It's an amendment. That means it came into existence because it was an alteration to the original Constitution, a change. No, I know, I know. That's not a fair argument because originalist thinking. But this country has a history of adding new amendments and even amending the existing ones. That's the brilliance of the founders' intent in making the Constitution malleable. In fact, there's a good bit of writing they did on this. Jefferson wrote that he believed the Constitution, any Constitution, needed to be rewritten every 19 years. And there it goes again. Did you hear that pop? Some gun owners had exploded again. Of course, a lot of gun owners, as I hinted at earlier, ironically claim to be pro-life. The absurdity of that position is a story for another day. But here's the thing. They certainly want to amend the Constitution to include, wait for it, amendments. Amendments that would make it against the law to seek an abortion for any reason. Okay, let that amendment happen. That child who might be born will just need to wait until some sick bastard with an AK strolls into their preschool or physical therapy session, which they may need because they're so severely deformed and have no quality of life to speak of, to be shot dead. But thank God we protected the rights of that gun owner. The point is, this archaic thing either needs to go or be amended. So here it is. I'm not just about shooting down your precious amendment. I'm coming with a solution so you can keep buying your sacred precious guns. If we have to keep it around, let's retrofit it to the current day. First, whenever I click on or search for anything, I get swamped with ads for whatever. Then there's GPS on our cars, trackers on our phones, retina scans, and other biosecurity, all of it. We chip our animals, too. So nobody can tell me we don't have the technology to keep tabs on where things are at. So beginning now, make all gun manufacturers and lobbyists step up and earn all of those favors and taxes they don't pay. Require the installation of some sort of chip in every firearm manufactured in such a way that if it's removed, the gun can no longer fire. Every time it is fired, a ping goes into a database, just like our cell phones. And then build in biosecurity so that the person who purchased the thing is legally the only person who can activate the firing of it. 
and implement a plan to have all weapons retrofitted to have those chips. Gun owners would pay their share with a gun safety tax on each weapon they own whose revenues go directly to these retrofits and changes. Make the purchaser also pay for a comprehensive local, state, and federal background check that includes annual mental health screening and reference checks with employers, family, members, and other friends. And while we're at it, provide all levels of law enforcement the resources to do a similar thing with checks on their hires. Because there's a whole lot of people out there, not all, mind you, but a whole lot of them with badges who shouldn't have them. Next, limit the number of weapons people can own. If you're in law enforcement, the piece you're issued by whatever agency wouldn't count against your personal arsenal. Also, limit the number of rounds a person can have at a given time and require the empty shells to be returned before more are purchased, a one-for-one swap. If you lose one of those shells out in the field, too bad, you're out of luck. Look, we have licenses for those cars that we drive that we don't deliberately wield as deadly weapons. Have a national gun registry that's tied to that chip mentioned above. There's really no legitimate reason that one doesn't already exist, regardless of what gun lobbyists and worshippers would have the rest of us believe. Maybe they just don't believe that the tech exists to enable that because, well, we still live in the 18th century, right? Then require gun owners to purchase legit, comprehensive insurance on each individual piece. No umbrellas and not just liability insurance. For each firearm owned, 30 hours minimum of classroom time annually to get recertified on the weapon and include de-escalation training and mental health workshops that might help a gun owner identify behaviors of those in their home that might lead to shooter events. Spouses, partners, or some other friend or relative would be required to be part of that seminar. Annual recertification would also include an annual mental health reassessment. This recertification, again, is on each gun owned, so you might only have one mental health assessment per year, but if you've got eight guns, that's 240 hours of classroom time, retraining, and recertification on each gun. All of this, of course, is on the gun owner's dime and at a fee level high enough to not just provide these resources, but to add into a state or national pool to fund the placement of clinicians and social service people with law enforcement, as well as providing for resources to lower income neighborhoods to provide alternative activities and safe places for residents to take classes, play sports, work out, whatever. Then, when Grampy dies, any weapons he will to his kids or grandkids, the people who would receive those weapons would need to be 21 or older and have to go through the same comprehensive background proctology that the original gun owner did. If a blemish is there or the recipient isn't yet 21, the gun's surrendered and destroyed. Now there's that pop again. Deal with it, gun boy or gun girl. If you really want that thing that bad, this seems like a deal. At least it wouldn't be pried from your cold, dead hands like the pencil in Fiona's hand when she was shot at her desk just doing her job. Now, with some of this in place, if a gun owner is convicted of any type of crime from solicitation to burglary and other property crimes to more violent offenses, their license is revoked permanently and all those toys in that locker get destroyed, period, full stop. Best behavior, you're good to go. So look, I'm realistic. None of this will ever happen because the gun lobby is too powerful and focused on selling more weapons regardless of how many seven-year-olds get blown away while they're at a birthday party. They just don't give a shit. Money talks with the shit-for-brains politicians who could make a difference. But their only M.O. is fundraising and getting reelected, not protecting the welfare of citizens. So as long as those paydays keep happening and the NRA, other lobbyists, and gun manufacturers have political access, it's all just a fantasy. 
But let's just suppose for a second that we could wave a wand and the right to life, and I choose those words very deliberately, the right to life of victims of gun violence mattered more than the insane need for guns that some people have, their God-given right to them. How's that for broken logic? If all those lives were more sacred than all those guns and all these guardrails and more were implemented, It's naive to believe that bad actors aren't going to find a way to get their hands on weapons. That'll always happen, unfortunately. And now these people can print their guns out on 3D printers and buy plastic parts and pieces online and then take them to their little craft rooms and make their own guns. It's sickening. So it's time to pull the trigger on real, meaningful changes with regard to gun control. But I have a hunch. This commentary will only put a crosshair on my back. But you know what? I just don't care because I need to say all of this. If it makes you take a lesser path and just cancel me, because regardless of all the dead bodies and shattered lives, your need to have a gun is more important, then look yourself in the mirror and ask what's really in your heart. Because it isn't your fellow human beings or some baby's right to life, if that's what you say you believe in. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review You Don't Say wherever you listen to podcasts and share with your family and friends. I welcome your feedback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at YDS Stories and LinkedIn at Drew Zagorski. And that's me. I'm Drew Zagorski. Thanks for listening to You Don't Say. Peace. And I mean peace. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to tell, shoot me an email to info at youdontsay.net. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at YDS Stories. Thanks again, and see you on the next episode.